Chapter Eighteen of Ravensdean Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Plum Cake. In the few moments which elapsed between my catching sight of that yellow face peering at us from the rail and our setting foot on the deck of what was virtually a temporary prison, I had time to arrive at a fairly conclusive estimate of our situation. Without doubt we were in the hands of Netherfield Baxter and his gang. Without doubt this was the craft which they had bought from the Hull shipbroker. Without doubt the reason of its presence on this lonely stretch of the coast lay in the proceedings amongst the ruins beneath whose walls we had come face to face with our captors. I saw, or believed that I saw, through the whole thing. Baxter and his accomplices had bought the yawl ostensibly for a trip to the Norwegian fjords, but in reality that they might sail it up the coast in the capacity of private yachtsmen, recover the treasure which had been buried near the tombs of the de Knaithfields, and then go elsewhere. Miss Raven and I had broken in upon their operations, and we were to pay for the accident with our liberty. I was not concerned about myself. I fancied that I saw a certain amount of honesty in Baxter's assurances, but I was anxious about my companion and about her uncle's anxiety. Miss Raven was not the sort of girl to be easily frightened, but the situation, after all, was far from pleasant. There we were, defenceless, amongst men who were engaged in a dark and desperate adventure, whose hands were probably far from clean in the matter of murder, and who, if need arose, would doubtless pay small regard to our well-being or safety. Yet there was nothing else for it but to accept the situation. We went on deck. The vessel was at anchor. She lay a thing of idleness, quiet and peaceful enough in a sheltered cove, wherein, I saw at a glance, she was lost to sight from the open sea outside the bar at its entrance, and hid from all but the actual coastline of the land. And all was quiet on her clean, freshly scoured decks. She looked, seen at close quarters, just what her possessors, of course, desired her to be taken for, a gentleman's pleasure yacht, the crew of which had nothing to do but keep her smart and bright. No one stepping aboard her would have suspected piracy or nefarious doings. And when we boarded her there was nobody visible. The Chinaman whom I had seen looking over the side had disappeared, and from stem to stern there was not a sign of human life. But as Miss Raven and I stood side by side, glancing about us with curiosity, a homely-looking grey cat came rubbing its shoulder against the woodwork, and from somewhere forward, where a wisp of blue smoke escaped from the chimney of the cook's galley, we caught a whiff of a familiar sort. Somebody, somewhere, was toasting bread and tea-cakes. We stood idle, like prisoners awaiting orders, while our captors transferred from the boat to the yawl two biggish iron-hooped chests, the wood of which was stained and discoloured with earth and clay. They were heavy chests, and they used tackle to get them aboard, setting them down close by where we stood. I looked at them with a good deal of interest, then, remembering that Miss Raven was fully conversant with all that Scarterfield had discovered at Blythe, I touched her elbow, directing her attention to the two bulky objects before us. "'Those are the chests that disappeared from the bank at Blythe,' I whispered. 
Now you understand? She gave me a quick, comprehending look. Then we are in the hands of Netherfield Baxter, she murmured. That man there? Without a doubt, I answered. And the thing is, show no fear. I'm not a scrap afraid, she answered. It's exciting, and he's rather interesting, isn't he? Gentlemen of his kidney usually are, I believe, I replied. All the same, I should much prefer his room to his company. Baxter just then came over to us, rubbing from his fingers the soil which had gathered on them from handling the chests. He smiled politely, with something of the air of a host who wants to apologize for the only accommodation he can offer. "'Now, Miss Raven,' he said, with an accent of almost benevolent indulgence, "'as we shall be obliged to inflict our hospitality upon you for a day or two, I hope it won't be for longer, for your sake, let me show you what we can give you in the way of quarters to yourself. We can't offer you the services of a maid, but there is a good cabin, well fitted, in which you'll be comfortable, and you can regard it as your own domain while you're with us. Come this way.' He led us down a short gangway, across a sort of small saloon, evidently used as a common room by himself and his companion, and threw open the door of a neat, though very small, cabin. "'Never been used,' he said with another smile. "'Fitted up by the previous owner of this craft, and all in order, as you see. Consider it as your own, Miss Raven, while you're our guest.' One of my men shall see that you've whatever you need in the way of towels, hot water, and the like. If you'll step in and look round, I'll send him to you now. As he's a Chinaman, you'll find him as handy as a French maid. Give him any orders or instructions you like. And then come on deck again, if you please, and you shall have some tea. He beckoned me to follow him as Miss Raven walked into her quarters, and he gave me a reassuring look as we crossed the outer cabin. "'She'll be perfectly safe and secluded in there,' he said. "'You can mount guard here if you like, Mr. Middlebrook. "'In fact, this is the only place I can offer you for quarters for yourself. "'I dare say you can manage to make a night's rest on one of these lounges, "'with the help of some rugs and cushions, and we've plenty of both.' "'I'm all right, thank you,' said I. "'Don't trouble about me. "'My only concern is about Miss Raven.' "'I'll take good care that Miss Raven is safe in everything,' he answered, "'as safe as if she were in her uncle's house. "'So don't bother your head on that score. "'I've given my word.' "'I don't doubt it,' I said. "'But as regards her uncle, I want to speak to you about him.' "'A moment,' he replied. "'Excuse me.' "'We were on deck again, and he went forward, "'poked his head into an open hatchway, "'and gave some order to an unseen person.' A moment later, a Chinaman, the same whose face I had seen as we came aboard, shot out of the hatchway, glided past me as he crossed the deck with silent tread, and vanished into the cabin we had just left. Baxter came back to me, pulling out a cigarette case. Yes, he said, offering it. About Mr. Raven? Mr. Raven, said I, will be in great anxiety about his niece. She is the only relative he has, I believe and he will be extremely anxious if she does not return this evening. He is a nervous, highly strung man. He interrupted me with a wave of his cigarette. I've thought of all that, he said. Mr. Raven shall not be kept in anxiety. 
as a matter of fact my friend whom you met with me up there at the ruins is going ashore again in a few minutes he will go straight to the nearest telegraph office which is a mile or two inland and there he will send a wire to mr raven from you mr raven will get it by say seven o'clock the thing is how will you word it we looked at each other in that exchange of glances i could see that he was a man who was quick at appreciating difficulties and he saw the peculiar niceties of the present one that's a pretty stiff question said i just so he agreed it is so take my advice instead of having the wire sent from the nearest office do this my friend as a matter of fact is going on by rail to berwick let him send a wire from there it will only mean that mr raven will get it an hour or so later say that you and miss raven find you cannot get home to-night and that she is quite safe word it in any reassuring way you like i gave him a keen glance the thing is said i can we get home to-morrow well possibly to-morrow night late he answered i will do my best i may be i hope to be through with my business to-morrow afternoon then at that moment the other man appeared on deck emerging from somewhere he had changed his clothes he now presented himself in a smart tweed suit homburg hat polished shoes gloves walking cane baxter signed to him to wait turning to me that's the wisest thing to do he remarked draft your wire i wrote out a message which i hoped would allay mr raven's anxieties and handed it to him he read it over nodded as if in approbation and went across to the other man for a moment or two they stood talking in low tones then the other man went over the side dropped into the boat which lay there and pulled himself off shorewards baxter came back to me he'll send that from berwick railway station as soon as he gets there at six thirty he said it should be delivered at ravensdene court by eight so there's no need to worry further you can tell miss raven and when all said and done mr middlebrook it wasn't my fault that you and she broke in upon very private doings up there in the old churchyard nor i suppose yours either make the best of it it's only a temporary detention i was watching him closely as he talked and suddenly i made up my mind to speak out it might be foolish even dangerous to do it but i had an intuitive feeling that it would be neither i believe i said brusquely enough that i am speaking to mr netherfield baxter he returned me a sharp glance which was half smiling certainly there was no astonishment in it ay he answered i thought somehow that you might be thinking that well and suppose i admitted mr middlebrook what then and what do you a londoner i think you told me know of netherfield baxter you wish to know i asked shall i be plain as a pikestaff if you like he replied i prefer it well said i a good many things recently discovered by accident that you formerly lived at blyth and had some association with a certain temporary bank manager there about whose death and the disappearance of some valuable portable property there was a good deal of concern manifested about the time you left blyth that you were never heard of again until recently when a blyth man recognized you in hull 
where you bought a yawl, this yawl, I believe, and said you were going to Norway in her? And that, but am I to be still more explicit? Why not, said he with a laugh, forewarned is forearmed, you're giving me valuable information. Very well, Mr. Baxter, I continued, determined to show him my cards. There's a certain detective, one Scarterfield, a sharp man, who is very anxious to make your acquaintance. For if you want the plain truth, he believes you, or some of your accomplices, or you and they together, to have had a hand in the murders of Noah and Salter Quick, and he's on your track. I was watching him still more closely as I spoke the last sentence or two. He remained as calm and cool as ever, and I was somewhat taken aback by the collected fashion in which he not only replied to my glance, but answered my words. Scarterfield, of whose doings I've heard a bit, has got hold of the wrong end of the stick there, Mr. Middlebrook, he said quietly. I had no hand in murdering either Noah Quick or his brother Salter, nor had my friend, the man who's just gone off with your telegram. I don't know who murdered those men, but I know that there have always been men who were ready to murder them if they got the chance, and I wasn't the least surprised to hear that they had been murdered. The wonder is that they escaped murder as long as they did. But beyond the fact that they were murdered, I know nothing, nor does anybody on board this craft. You and Miss Raven are amongst, well, you can call us pirates if you like, buccaneers, adventurers, anything, but we're not murderers. We know nothing whatever about the murders of Noah and Salter Quick, except what we've read in the papers. I believed him, and I made haste to say so, out of a sheer relief to know that Miss Raven was not amongst men whose hands were stained with blood. Thank you, he said, as coolly as ever. I'm obliged to you. I have been anxious enough to know who did murder those two men. As I say, I felt no surprise when I heard of the murders. You knew them? The Quicks? I suggested. Did I? he answered with a cynical laugh. Didn't I? They were a couple of rank badums. I've never professed sanctity, Mr. Middlebrook, but Noah and Salter Quick were of a brand that's far beyond me. They were bad men. I'll tell you more of them later. Here's Miss Raven. I may as well tell you, I murmured hastily, that Miss Raven knows as much as I do about all that I've just told you. That's so, he said. Hmm, and she looks a sensible sort of lass, too. Well, I'll tell you both what I know, as I say, later. But now, some tea. While he went forward to give his orders, I contrived to inform Miss Raven of the gist of our recent conversation, and to assert my own private belief in Baxter's innocence. I saw she was already prejudiced in his favour. I'm glad to know that, she said, but in that case the mystery's all the deeper. What is it, I wonder, that he can tell? Wait till he speaks, said I. We shall learn something. Baxter came back, presently followed by the little Chinaman whom I had seen before, who deftly set up a small table on deck, drew chairs round it, and a few minutes later spread out all the necessaries of a dainty afternoon tea. And in the centre of them was a plum cake. I saw Miss Raven glance at it. I glanced at her. I knew of what she was thinking. 
her thoughts had flown to the plum cake at Laura's, made by Wing, his Chinese servant. But whatever we thought, we said nothing. The situation was romantic, and not without some attraction, even in those curious circumstances. Here we were, prisoners, first-class prisoners, if you will, but still prisoners, and there was our jailer. He and ourselves sat round a tea-table, munching toast, nibbling cakes and dainties, sipping fragrant tea, as if we had been in any lady's drawing-room. I think it speaks well for all of us that we realized the situation and made the most of it by affecting to ignore the actual reality. We chatted, as well-behaved people should under similar conditions, about anything but the prime fact of our imprisonment. Baxter, indeed, might have been our very polite and attentive host, and we his willing guests. As for Miss Raven, she accepted the whole thing with hearty good humour, and poured out the tea as if she had been familiar with our new quarters for many a long day. Moreover, she adopted a friendly attitude towards our captors, which did much towards smoothing any present difficulties. "'You seem to be very well accommodated in the matter of servants, Mr. Baxter,' she observed. "'That little Chinaman, as you said, is as good as a French maid, and you certainly have a good cook. Excellent pastry-cook, anyway.' Baxter glanced lazily in the direction of the galley. "'Another Chinaman,' he answered. He looked significantly at me. "'Mr. Middlebrook,' he continued, "'is aware that I bought this yawl from a shipbroker in Hull for a special purpose.' "'Not aware of the special purpose,' I interrupted, with a purposely sly glance at him. "'The special purpose is a run across the Atlantic, if you want to know,' he answered carelessly. Of course, when I'd got her, I wanted a small crew. Now, I've had great experience of Chinamen, best servants on earth, in my opinion, so I sailed her down to the Thames, went up to the London docks, and took in some Chinese chaps that I got in Limehouse. Two men and one cook. Man cook, of course. He's good. I can't promise you a real and proper dinner tonight, but I can promise a very satisfactory substitute which we call supper. "'And you're going across the Atlantic with a crew of three? I asked. "'As a matter of fact,' he answered candidly, "'there are six of us. The three Chinese, myself, my friend who was with me this afternoon, and who will join us again tomorrow, and another friend who will return with him, and who, like the crew, is a Chinaman. But he's a Chinaman of rank and position.' "'In other words, the Chinese gentleman who was with you and your French friend in Hull?' I suggested. "'Just so, since we're to be frank,' he answered. "'The same.' Then, with a laugh, he glanced at Miss Raven. "'Mr. Middlebrook,' he said, "'considers me the most candid desperado he ever met.' "'Your candor is certainly interesting,' replied Miss Raven, "'especially if you really are a desperado. "'Perhaps you'll give us more of it?' "'I'll tell you a bit later on,' he said. "'That quick business, I mean.' Suddenly, setting down his teacup, he got up and moved away towards the galley, into which he presently disappeared. Miss Raven turned sharply on me. "'Did you eat a slice of that plum-cake?' she whispered. "'You did?' "'I know what you're thinking,' I answered. 
It reminds you of the cake that Lorimore's man, Wing, makes. Remind, she exclaimed, there's no reminding about it. Do you know what I think? That man, Wing, is aboard this yacht. He made that cake. End of chapter 18